on the midst of his date in 1952, nearly 70 years ago, one of America's classic chamber jazz ensembles was founded. Pianist John Lewis formed the Modern Jazz Quartet. The quartet fused jazz improvisation with classical forms and Baroque counterpoint. And in so doing, they broke some rules. And then they broke more. Instead of playing in smoky bars, the Modern Jazz Quartet made a point of playing in concert halls, and they even wore tuxes, inviting audiences to afford their chamber jazz the same attention and respect usually reserved in those days for classical music. What an innovation, a jazz band that wore tuxes. Nearly 30 years later, when I was in seminary, I directed the children's choir at the church where I was the seminarian intern. One of the anthems the children especially liked was a jazzy version of Wade in the Water. They loved it, that they could snap their fingers and sway when they sang it. Wade in the Water, you can imagine. It had rhythm the way George Matthew likes to play for us and for God. Well, we sang as the offertory anthem one Sunday in Eastertide, and I must say the kids were really proud of their rendition. This was nearly 40 years ago, so although there was an obvious enthusiasm among, among the congregation when we finished, there wasn't any clapping. That wasn't done in the Episcopal Church 40 years ago, at least not in my experience. I love that change. After the service, the children and I were putting away our vestments when a matriarch of the congregation stormed up to me and announced, you never should have sung that anthem in church. Jazz has no place in our worship. She was furious. Her outburst stunned me. I looked around at the kids. They looked stunned, too, and then embarrassed, uncomfortable. Her pharisaic proclamation that jazz was inappropriate in church meant, I think, that she felt that jazz wasn't holy. What I learned from that incident, with help from my director, who was my mentor, we talked about it a lot, was that rules about what make the Sabbath holy vary for interesting and complex reasons. He was pretty sure that she objected to the jazzy anthem because being jazz, it was sensual. Horrors in church. Remember clarinetist Bud Leeds delighting us just a few weeks ago, delighting us and God as well, I'm sure, with his glorious jazz renditions for the prelude and the postlude, with, of course, George riffing along beside him. <clears throat> in his marvelous commentary on the Gospel of Luke, William Barclay's translation brings today's story alive, this story that only appears in the Gospel of Luke. Barclay's translation. Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and look you, there was a woman there who had a spirit of weakness for 18 years. She was bent together. I imagine it like that and she could not straighten up properly. Can you picture 18 years of having to look at the ground 
watching people's feet? Barclay goes on, he laid his hands upon her and immediately she was straightened, straightened. The president of the congregation was vexed that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. Are there not six days, he said to the crowd, on which work ought to be done? Come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath. And Barclay goes on, hypocrites, the Lord answered, does each one of you not loose his ox or his ass from the manger on the Sabbath and lead him out and give him a drink? And as for this woman, bound for 18 years, should she not have been loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? I like Barclay's use of loose as, as his translation for the word set free used in our new Revised Standard Version. For a donkey is loosed in order to drink, and the woman is loosed from her dreadful disability. Made free to stand tall and be of the world, no longer consigned to watching feet and legs, and presumably suffering terrible pain as well. At our monthly Eucharist at Eastview the other day, we had a lively discussion about what we could and couldn't do on Sundays, the Sabbath day, when we were children. We were all over 70, so our childhood was long ago. Most of us couldn't go to movies. <clears throat> One of us said she still doesn't do laundry because she didn't as a child. Some people remembered stiff Sunday dinners at which children were seen but not heard. We all agreed that the relaxation of society's pharisaical Sabbath laws makes for a more joyful day. And we're all here in this sacred space to keep the Sabbath, to keep our holy Sunday. Every Sunday is a little Easter, we all, we all know that. But at Eastview we all agreed that now Sundays are pretty much the same, at least in our culture, as every other day. Stores are open. My son, as an example, often does his laundry and goes to the supermarket on Sunday because it's the weekend and as a single dad with a demanding job, he drives his daughter to school and to appointments and to her friends' homes. His weekdays are complex enough. But other than not going to work, most of us, or school, our children, Sundays are pretty much the same as any other day nowadays, except for keeping the Sabbath. That's why we're all here. William Barclay goes on to comment, the president of the synagogue and those like him were people who loved systems more than people. They were more concerned that their own petty little laws be observed than that a woman should be helped. We call that Pharisaic behavior. The Pharisees were concerned with proper institutional behavior. Another incident from the church where I was seminarian the young assistant minister had five children. One Sunday, his lovely daughter, Krista, perhaps nine years old, was serving as acolyte. As she stood at the back of the church, holding the cross in front of the choir and clergy, ready to lead the procession up the aisle, a parishioner coming in the front door beheld her and stepped over and scolded her for wearing sneakers. Krista was reduced to, to tears, handed the processional cross to her father, and fled out of the church to her house next door. 
I'll never forget her dad, the young assistant rector's response. Those are her only shoes. We got five kids. Each has one pair of shoes, and she's serving by being brave enough to carry a cross up our aisle. He went on, I wonder if I want to keep working in the church if this sort of thing will happen to my children. Jesus welcomed the woman he healed into the synagogue community by granting her a view. I suspect she came somewhat of a celebrity. That's the woman Jesus of Nazareth healed from being totally bent over. She couldn't stand up at all, and now she has a new life here. Imagine how transformative that was for her. She could now look her friends in the eye, maybe many new friends in the eye. She could now participate fully in life. Besides keeping Sabbath and worshiping God here at St. Stephen's, we form a community. That's another of the points of why we come together each Sunday. Hopefully, we're a welcoming and compassionate community. Behold our children's play area, such a welcome innovation. The children, when they come down, are right among us. They're part of us. I wish we'd thought to remove a few cues and arrange this space like this in the 90s when I was rector here. In those days, parents insisted on sitting way in the back because they were afraid their children would be noisy. And when I'd say, oh, it doesn't matter, please come forward, uh-uh. Good solution. Here's a story from my husband Robert to illustrate my point about strict adherence to religious rules and traditions. He told it to me, and when he did, I asked him if I could use his words, and here they are. I moved to Boston in the 1950s to an apartment on the back side of Beacon Hill, in those days inhabited mostly by academics, artists, musicians, and various bohemian types. The apartment was in somewhat shabby but charming building, and I felt quite lucky to have it. I moved in on Saturday, and on Sunday, decided to wash the windows facing the street. I was on my ladder with bucket and squeegee when a uniformed police officer approached and ordered me to stop what I was doing. Why, I asked. I'm not walking the sidewalk or playing loud music. Someone in the neighborhood has called in with a complaint that you're breaking the law, he said. And what so-called law might that be, I answered sarcastically. Title 20, Chapter 137, Section 5, he responded. Unnecessary work on Sunday. And if you don't come off that ladder right now and put your equipment away, we can go down to the station for further discussion. What he was quoting to me, Robert goes on to say, was one of the Massachusetts blue laws that go back to colonial times, many of which were still on the books in 1956. Needless to say, I complied with his demand and spent the rest of the day brooding about what kind of person would greet a new member, a new neighbor, by calling the police to complain that he was violating the Sabbath by washing windows on Sunday. It certainly did not make me feel welcome in the Beacon Hill community, he concluded. So strict adherence to rules and actions, can they make for a welcoming, nurturing community? 
Well, I suspect the word to be aware of is strict. Rules and laws offer some sort of order in society. We know that. But if you're going to report someone who breaks what you consider an important law, not washing windows on Sundays, are you contributing to a welcoming, compassionate society? Although tradition, custom, and liturgical form may make us feel comfortable because they are familiar, they should never be used to set us apart from others who may have different traditions. So we all walk a fine line between our love for tradition and openness to new ideas. <laughs> new ways of expression are tradition. For example, jazz musicians wearing tuxes playing in a concert hall, or even playing in church wearing sneakers. <laughs> 